How's it going, Matt? Good. How are you, Jonathan? Good. Uh, this is another episode of the Agony of Defeat podcast. I'm Jonathan Weiler. And I'm Matt Andrews. I'm a professor of history at UNC. And I'm a professor of global studies at UNC. It's been a little while. It has. We had one... Uh, fail. We, we recorded a podcast a couple of weeks ago, but we had some production issues. Jonathan forgot to press the record button. <laughs> and what's unfortunate about that is it really probably was the greatest podcast of all time. Uh, I mean, we're not just talking about us. No, we're, no, we're talking any, ever. It was, podcast, so it was transcendent. Unfortunately, that's lost to history. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, but we'll do our best. So... We're going to start today, um, usually we start with a rant, um, but sort of as a substitute for that, Matt is going to offer a mea culpa. A rant against myself. <laughs> a self-rant. A self-rant, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah so we're, we're going to talk a little bit about basketball and, and drafting in basketball, and then we want to talk later in the show about the Red Sox visit to the White House. I think there's some, a few things to, to say there. So to talk about the basketball and the draft, in this transcendent podcast that we did a couple of weeks ago, the rant I began with, you're just going to have to trust me that it was great, was I was ranting against the fact or about the fact that the New York Knicks guaranteed already had the number one pick uh, in the upcoming NBA draft. They were going to win the lottery, get the ping pong ball or whatever, however they they do it now. I didn't actually watch it this time. Did you? No, I did not. Okay, I was at a, yeah. at a hockey game and, and missed it. Um, but I was so convinced that the Knicks were going to have the be given the number one pick that I was ranting. You know, I wasn't really even ranting about the unfairness of it all, although as a Golden State Warriors fan who in 1985 we should have had the number one draft pick and didn't because the Knicks got it, I suppose there was a little bit of resentment in there. But I was just certain that somehow the NBA was going to make sure that the New York Knicks were going to have the number one pick so they could draft Zion Williamson. I know you want to say something, but let me say this. They should also. Zion should be going to the Knicks. I don't understand what the NBA is is doing. Right. So you, you on the day of the draft lottery, a couple of times you tweeted out the word chicanery. Is that how you pronounce it? I think it's chicanery. Or is it chicanery? I don't I'm know. not sure. I put it in my car. And uh, convinced, since you were, that the NBA was engaged in however you pronounce that word. Right. Um, and so, yes, <laughs> we're not, there's disappointment that they did not engage in chicanery. Look, in 1985, degree. what did the NBA need? They needed Patrick Ewing, the most anticipated college player probably since Lou Alcindor, who became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I think that's Bar. fair, yes. They needed him to go to the New York Knicks, and lo and behold, where did he go? He went to the New York Knicks. Fast forward 30-plus years. I think you can make the argument that Zion Williamson is the most hyped kid coming out of college since Patrick Ewing. You I mean, might, you might well, be right. Certainly out of college. Out he, of college. He may even be more hyped than LeBron James just because we didn't have that ESPN machine where we saw him every single night like we saw Zion. And I was, and we're in a different media universe than we were 16 years ago. Yes, right. right. We, we knew Yeah, we knew everything about Zion. I was first told about Zion by a kid who knew nothing about basketball three years ago because he watched his dunks on YouTube. Right. I mean, that's, that's right. how it works now. Right. And so I was... Absolutely, 100% convinced, dead certain, no way around it. The Knicks were going to get the number one pick. So convinced, I just want to note, that 
if I started a sentence about that saying, if the Knicks... I mean, when. And Matt would never <laughs> let me finish the That's sentence. Right. It was when the Knicks get the number one pick. No, uh, the takeaway from all of this is David Stern, who orchestrated the big fix of 1985, is just a better cheater and fixer than Adam Silver. Um, Adam Silver with his passive, let's just see what happens attitude... I think he blew it. Zion going to the Pelicans does not excite me as a basketball right, fan. So the New Orleans Pelicans did win the number one pick, and they will almost certainly draft Zion Williamson. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. Right. And that is, from a league standpoint, probably not an optimal outcome. No, and I've heard a lot of people, the the guys who do the local sports radio around here on the, the fan, they like to say the NBA world is flat. It, it does not matter where a player goes uh, nowadays. No, that's not true at all. Uh, it's New York. New York is where it all happens. The only thing the NBA does not have going for it right now is a great team in New York. I, I was going to say, Matt, one of the reasons why it's possible to say that the NBA is flat is that the NBA has done great for as long as it has without a good New York team. Right. And people, therefore, are just not remembering how much it helps the league Sure, when there is a great New York team. We still talk about the Knicks teams of the early 1970s, yeah. as if they're some of the best teams of all time. Uh, they only won two titles yes, in, that's in right. a three or four year span. Uh, other team, but but we talk about them more and remember them more favorably than we remember the the Spurs, for example. That, that's a good point because it's are, in New York City. They are certainly the most legendary two championship team. Yeah, in, in, in sports, probably absolutely. And it's I mean, the, for there's a number of reasons right. there. It's the Willis makeup Reed, of the team uh, and uh, all that stuff. Yeah, but it's yeah. because it was in New York City, baby. Yeah. Um, as a basketball fan. I regret the fact that I'm going to be watching Zion Williamson play for the Pelicans, a, a team that I actually like. I, I want New Orleans to have a, a, a pro team, and I want that team to do well, but that kid needs to be in the big out. Well, and we might add, every indication we have is that he really wanted to play in New York. Well, he certainly said that he did yes. when he went up there with, with Duke and said, I could see myself playing here 41 games right. every season. Right. Okay, so that gets us into actually the sort of the first big topic we want to talk about today, which is drafts in general, the NBA draft specifically, but drafts more broadly and their construction. And really, one question we want to talk about is a whether they're fair at all. Are they un-American? Are are they un-American? Yeah. Um, because what a draft means is that you the player, the worker, the worker, do not get to decide where you want to work. That's exactly right. right. The, the league decides for you. And not to put too fine a point on this, what that means is that you are Zion Williamson. You are by far the most coveted player coming out of college. You would have tremendous bargaining power as teams vie for your services, but for the fact that only one team can sign you. That's right. And so you lose all of your bargaining power for the sake of what the league says is competitive balance. This is the rationale for the reverse order draft. And what we know is the real reason, <laughs> which is controlling labor and labor costs. Yeah, let, let's be very clear. Uh, NBA owners, NFL owners, Major League Baseball owners, hockey owners, all of these very rich men who own teams... They will tell you over and over and over that the draft is there to maintain competitive balance so the, 
So the worst team can get the best players because we want the league to be as equal as possible. I don't buy it for a second. Right. The reason why the draft exists is that these very wealthy men do not want to get into bidding wars with each other over Patrick Ewing, over LeBron James, over Zion Williamson. So they institute the draft. They're all willing to live with it. The worker, he's selected by a team. It's the only team he can play for. Right. Now, and, and, and we should note that, of course, when Zion Williamson signs his contract and it's prescribed by the collective bargaining agreement, I think it will be a four-year contract for something like $7 million a year. That's what the number one pick gets right. with an option for a fifth year. Now, his shoe contract, he's not drafted by Nike, so no. he's going to make a ton of money he's there. He's going to make maybe a quarter of a million dollars, a quarter of a billion dollars or more. Right. Yeah. Um, so, which is to say that no one's going to be sympathetic. Right. Right. Because right. he's still going to be an incredibly rich man, um, which is fine, but we should not kid ourselves as to the reason why these things exist in the first place. Well, and think about when drafts, Jonathan, went into place. This was not a time when professional athletes were making millions of dollars. The NFL instituted their draft in the 1930s. Right. Um, and I think this maybe did has, have as much to do with competitive balance as it did with constraining salaries, because salaries were so unbelievably right. low. Right, it didn't matter. didn't yeah. matter. The NBA, there are different years we can say the NBA starts, but 1947 is a fair year to go with, and they have their draft beginning in 1947. Um, and I think of baseball. You know, baseball, where the players were ruled by the reserve clause for a century, meaning once a team signed you, you couldn't go anywhere. Major, the only time a baseball player ever had any sort of quote-unquote free agency, they had any leverage, was before they signed with a team. If you were a particularly good player of uh, Mickey Mantle from Commerce, Oklahoma, you could spark something of a bidding more by different teams. Um, that is the only moment guys like that had leverage. And then what does Major League Baseball do? Well, they come up with the idea of a draft in 1965, leverage gone. Right. Um, just uh, this is a, a, a point of trivia, but back for, for a second to uh, the NFL draft, uh, which began in 1936. And to your point about how pitifully low salaries were, the first ever pick was Jay Berlanger, it was the first Heisman Trophy winner for the University of Chicago. Did you say so. In 1935. All right. And did he play football? No. Oh, okay. Because it wasn't, he couldn't make any money playing football. Right, right. So he, he, worked, took he, a job, he took a job in a rubber factory. Oh, I was going to say the local hardware store, yeah, right? Who's so, so in a rubber factory? the same thing. So, yeah. Right. right. So, yeah. I, that, yeah. I mean, that gives you a sense of how small time yes. professional football That's used right. to be. Speaking, right. When I think of the, of the draft, and speaking of the basketball draft, I think the one of the more interesting aspects that I've ever seen, and the NBA doesn't do this anymore, you know, they used to have that thing known as the territorial pick. Right. So if you were a team and there was a player who had gone to college uh, within 50 miles of where you were based, you could renounce your first round pick and instead select that player. And they did this at a time when the NBA was relatively unpopular, and they thought the only way to get butts in the seats was to have local kids, local products right. playing We're for the local teams. The yeah, known. Right. And so, for example, the Boston Celtics select Tommy Heinsohn, um, local kid. Uh, the New York Knicks, we were talking about earlier, select Bill Bradley. Um, Who played his college ball at Princeton. At, at, right. at Princeton. You know, the only non college player that the territorial pick was ever 
used on? I don't. Okay, well, you're going to recognize his, his name. Will Chamberlain. Oh, interesting. So Will Chamberlain goes to high school. I know you know where, Philadelphia, Overbrook High School. He then goes to the University of Kansas, where there was no team. So the Philadelphia Warriors made the argument that they ought to be able to use their territorial pick on the local high school kid. Think about how controversial this must have been. The Cincinnati Royals had the number one pick back then. They argued against it. They said, no, the territorial pick is only supposed to be used on college players. This is Will Chamberlain we're talking about here. And the Philadelphia Warriors, Eddie Gottlieb, they win the argument. They get to draft Chamberlain. Tar Heels fans everywhere will smile at the mention of Will Chamberlain. Why is that? Yeah. Because in 1957, in the NCAA championship game, North Carolina beat Kansas, heavily favored Kansas, and Will Chamberlain in triple overtime. Coached by Frank McGuire, who then became Will Chamberlain's coach at the Philadelphia Warriors. Now, think of, I was thinking about this today. Um, I think this speaks to the NBA is now flat point of view, that you don't need the territorial pick anymore. No. But what if the territorial pick still existed? I guess the Charlotte Hornets would be able to draft Zion Williamson. Right, he's a South Carolina kid. Or I suppose um, kids would go to college based on where they want to play pro ball. You know, if you're Zion Williamson and you want to play for the Knicks, you go to, I don't know, where do you go? NYU, Fordham, St. John's. Seton Hall, St. Right. John's. Right. Yeah, right. boy, what a, what a uh, boom for the, yeah. for the right. New York teams. Now then there would be the question of what you do with all the European players and the, right, all, all the non-Americans who now... Populate the well, not everyone was eligible for the territory. No, right, right, but, right. Yeah, but 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 I think one reason we're interested in this topic is, as sports fans, we take as an absolute given that, of course, there's a draft. Right. It's a reverse order draft. It makes perfect sense. It's actually this egalitarian Robin Hood-like approach to ensuring that the sport is competitive. Teams at the bottom get a shot at the at the best players, right? And it's sort of it's like a win for everybody's welfare, right? Um, which is true, except for <laughs> except for the players, except for the players. And, and let's put money aside for a minute, okay? Okay. So let's say because the NBA, you could argue, well, the the money issue doesn't matter because now that you have these rookie pay scales, it's going to be wherever you go, you're only going to get that amount of money. But what about the idea that you just get to play where you want to play. You get to live where you want to you live. Want to live where you, you want to live. You get live. to be who you want to be. Right. Yeah, we, right. we just throw that idea it, out it, the window. It's not, I think the thing that's interesting to both of us is that it's not even a consideration. Yeah, right. I think that's exactly right. If I were the czar of the sports world, I would probably leave the draft or something. Well, although I'm not sure. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But um, you're right. We, we, we just reflexively, absentmindedly assume that it's the best way and that it's the only way it has to be this way. And that there's no downside. Right. For anybody. And, you know, I, I, I bring this up to my students in my basketball class, and no one thinks it's a bad idea. And then I turn the question on them. I say, what are you going to do when you graduate? Right. Are you, going to go to, you want to be a lawyer or you right. want to work for a broadcasting company. How would you like it if you were selected um, well, students are so hungry for jobs now that they they, no, they it, love the idea of being drafted of and having a job. But if you are sought after, you are literally the most sought after person in your profession, and you have no say whatsoever where you want to go or where you get to go. One might call that un-American. Matt, this, this is this point you just made is also really important because 
the way that we talk about athletes and we analogize them to ordinary workers is completely ignoring the fact that they are the most sought after coveted people in their profession. Yeah. Right. And then in a functioning market, that would mean that they have all the leverage over their circumstances. And it'd be one thing if the owners somehow turned that logic on themselves, but they don't. Right? I mean, the, the, the owners use every means of leverage they can possibly conceive of right. to make more money. And that's okay for everybody in sports, except for the players. Well, and the owners have this this card in their pocket that they can play whenever they, they want. And it, it's both the, the money card and the you get to play a sport right. for your job right. card. Because right. every person out there would say, oh my God, I would right. give my left arm to be able right. to play NBA right. basketball. Right. You'd be right. a bad basketball player without your left arm. But that's what people say. Right. And the owners know that they can say that. They know they can say that. Um, and what we should hear more of is that you, the owners, you're unbelievably lucky that you get to own a sports team. Well, they don't see it that way. That's no, no, sure. no, I know. Yeah. Right, right. But, but the, the Dan they Gilbert don't, doesn't see it that, that way. They don't see it that way. None of them see it that way. Is That's a given. That sports discourse accepts that. You know, right? they don't, yeah, they don't have a draft in Premier League soccer. No, right. And right. that's popular. Right. People seem to watch that. Right. Uh, teams right. just, and in fact, not only do they not have a draft, correct me if I'm wrong, they don't have a salary cap. They do not have a salary cap. So the NBA doesn't need a draft because it has a salary cap. Right. You, you right. can't offer Zion Williamson That's $200 right. million. Dollars. So really, when you get right down to it, why is the draft there? Is it is it just Well, it's, or, it's, it's origins, I think, do have to do with sort of limiting payroll. Sure. And now I think it is more about control. Yeah. Con but yeah, to your point, I mean, European soccer, which is incredibly popular, is incredibly popular in spite of the fact that a handful of teams absolutely dominate the sport. The Premier League is the same five teams. I was looking at, at the list. I think it's been only five teams, well, maybe six. Since and, the and at 90s. the European level, who wins Bundesliga most of the time? Well, Bayern Munich seven or eight years in a row. Okay, yeah, and, I know. and who wins the Spanish League most of the time? Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, and it's, and nobody, it's interesting that socialist Europe is has the open radically free market when it comes to sports. What's more interesting, that they do that or that we here in the United States do it the way we do it? I mean, it's just the, the, the hypocrisy. The hypocrisy. Is, yeah. it, it needs to be pointed out. You it can doesn't. agree with the draft, but think critically about it. Yeah. You know, where do you really stand on this issue? Yeah. Um, well, another thing that the draft is supposed to do, obviously, or this, this draft lottery, maybe we should get to, to that topic, is get rid of the plague, as so many people see it, of, of tanking. Right. Um, the fact that teams are purposefully losing games, particularly at the end of the season, or even in some instances at the beginning of the season, if you're Philadelphia, uh, for, for so many years, because you want to get the best possible draft pick. Um, and this is originally, in fact, I do believe it's, it's my Warriors from the early 80s. I think it's the Warriors of 83 who were tanking um, because they wanted Ralph Sampson, or maybe they wanted Akeem Olajuwon that may have instituted the the first ping-pong ball lottery, or however it worked. I guess it was cards and a big giant ball in 1985. That's right. Yeah. So you have thoughts on whether this draft lottery um, stops teams from, from tanking? Well, so we, we know that it doesn't, right, because teams 
have continued to Okay, turn. they keep on doing And it. in fact, it's become more common in recent years. And I, and I wonder whether, I mean, the 76ers being sort of the, the, the emblematic example of a team that year after year... And they were open about it. And they were open about yeah. it. And they were it wasn't winning. tanking, it was a process. Right, that's right. <laughs> As Sam Henke, their longtime general manager, described right. it. right. So they would win, I don't know, 10 to 15 games a year over yeah. a four or five year period or something. All so that they could get very high draft picks. So they obviously, the, the lottery didn't disincentivize that. Now, this year, and my team, the Knicks, have paid for this. They recalibrated the odds of the lottery this year right. to give teams at the top less of a chance as a way to diminish the incentive for tanking, but I think all they did is give more incentive to more mediocre teams to tank. I'm interested. Because they have a better chance of moving up in the draft, like the Lakers, who didn't have a terrible record this I think they have like the 10th or 11th worst record. Okay. And they're getting the fourth pick in the draft this year. Right. Which would have essentially been impossible under the pre-2019 rules. So you think we're going to get more tanking? I think we're going to get more tanking. Well, it was Rudy Gobert uh, after this this played out. Rudy Gobert, the, the, the French center for the Utah Jazz with the... I'm not sure if he has the best nickname in basketball or the worst nickname <laughs> the, in basketball. The, the Stifle Tower. The Stifle Tower, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm going to go with both. You're <laughs> both, both at the same time? Yeah. yeah, he immediately tweeted that, thank God, we're, we've now seen the end of tanking. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Right. I mean, even if a team thinks they can go from a 14% chance to a 16% chance or something along those lines, they're going to do everything in their power when the prize is a guy as coveted as I am. Right. So, Matt, you, you, there, was a, there were a few ideas that we both saw that are attempts to think about redoing the draft so that tanking is less of an issue. Right, we do, redoing like the draft lottery, right? Yeah, yeah. So were, were there any in particular that you were intrigued well, by? Yeah, one is just give up the whole weighted system, and if you don't make the playoffs, you just everyone... Which everyone, is the original system. Yeah, everyone gets one ping pong ball. That was the 1985 Patrick Ewing system. Right, so there's no point in having... The, look, if you know you're not going to make the playoffs, you're still going to try to win games, which reinforces the integrity of the sport and keeps fans going to your games because you have an equal chance, just as, as everyone else, of, right. of getting right. the number one pick. I thought the most interesting one that I've seen, I believe I saw this on, on, on Deadspin or on Bleacher Report, someone has come up with the idea of, he calls it the wheel of fate. And it's not a wheel as in you spin it, although that's probably what you would do the first time. I'm just laughing because we've been subjected for eight seasons on Game of Thrones to the breaking of what is it, the Wheel of Pain. <laughs> was, that a, was that a spoiler from yeah. last night's episode? No, no, okay, been, good, been, good. Been, good. Been, I, I was very clear. That, no spoilers about that, last that, night's um, yeah, series-ending that, that, episode. That's eight seasons. Yeah, so, okay, yeah, very good. Yeah. Well, the idea there is um, every team... Gets, there are 30 teams. Every team gets the number one pick once every 30 years. And so I suppose you could probably spin a wheel the first time for, for placement. All right, the Minnesota Timberwolves get the number one pick this year, and the Phoenix Suns in the next year, and the, well, the Seattle Supersonics, when they're back in the league, they get it the next year. And everyone knows for the next 30 years, or 60, or 90, or 120, exactly where their draft status is going to be. Every team will get the number one pick once And you can years. trade that status if you want sure. to. Sure. Right, yeah, right, why not? Right. You know exactly what you're... None of this... 
protected, unprotected stuff. If in the top five, you get to keep it. If in the top 15, you, you, you've got to give it up. Everyone knows exactly what their status is going to be. There are downsides to, I mean, it's an intriguing idea. First of all, you'd have to be totally committed to it. You couldn't do it for 15 years and no, then and say, then stop. That's and then right. stop because <laughs> all the other teams would be like, wait a minute, yeah, yeah, yeah. we haven't had our first yeah, round yeah, pick. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, arguments against it that I've seen the most is someone says, well, let's say you're a guy like Zion Williamson and let's say the Phoenix Suns have the number one pick this year and the Los Angeles Lakers have the number one pick the next year. Well, then you're not going to go out this year. You're going to stay in school and you're going right. to play. And to, my thought is, well, what's the problem with that? Well, that's back to our earlier discussion about even the notion of players having any control whatsoever right. is okay. raised as a criticism yeah, of, exactly. of, of these drafting systems. Right, right. right. So the, I, I don't buy that argument. So, so he goes back to school for a year, and that's a disaster. Right. He keeps playing for, <laughs> or, for or a year. Or he goes to IMG Academy for a year, whatever. Yeah. Right? Why, yeah. why not have that option? Why yeah. not know? Yeah. Um, the other one that we were laughing about earlier was, uh, which they do with the Premier League, is relegation. <laughs> Don't tank because if you're, let's say you're the you're the worst team in the NBA, you get relegated. The problem is, what do you get relegated to? The, right, the G League, and right. The, or you just have to sit out and wear dunce caps under your head for a year or something like that's that. That's actually a good one. <laughs> yeah, you're. I don't know the, the Sioux City Assassins or whatever right. the, the G League team. The, they get to join the NBA and vice versa. Right. I don't think that would work. Now, part of what's the leagues are invested in, we should know too, with these drafts, is that the drafts themselves have become incredible ratings TV spectacles. Well, certainly in the right. NFL. Right. Holy right. smokes, and, and, yeah, the three-day extravaganza. The, I mean, not to the same degree, but the NBA draft itself has become yeah. a really big deal. Yeah. Right? And this isn't talking about getting rid of the NBA draft, but the sort of the draft lottery and the... You know, all of that is actually, it's now part of the business model, it seems like. I think so. Yeah, anytime you can get on TV, anytime you can have people talking about it, well, even if it's bad, even if it's us critiquing the draft, it's, you know, there is no yeah. such thing as bad publicity. No, that's right. Um, that's right. You know, the NFL draft is just a show unto itself. It's, it's out of control. I think it's a sign of the decline of Americans' <laughs> society that people get drunk and stand in the streets and cheer, you know. Who the Cleveland Browns pick in the fifth round. I, I don't know whether to be proud of what I'm about to say or utterly humiliated, but I'm going to say it either way. That one of the articles that I think I sent you about the history of the NFL draft as a huge TV spectacle, the NFL draft was first televised by ESPN in 1979. 79. Yeah, this was when ESPN was just getting started. Okay. And they went to the NFL and said, can we broadcast you? Right. And the response was basically, this is going to be like reading a phone book on television. Right, right. But within a few years, it became a big deal. In 1981, the third year of the draft on ESPN, I was in 10th grade, I feigned being sick so I could stay home from school that day. The draft was on a school day? Yeah. During the yeah, day? I think it was on a Tuesday. Wow. It, and, it was, and I stayed home so I could watch the NFL draft. Who was the number one pick and, in and, and, and the number one pick was George Rogers. Right, much South more Carolina. consequential for my fate 
as a New York Giants fan, was at the number three pick. Lawrence Taylor. It was Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, that makes um, sense. So it totally good made pick, it worth it. Yeah. <laughs> and good pick Jonathan for staying <laughs> home that day. <laughs> good move. Yeah. 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 I don't know. So very quickly, thumbs up, thumbs down on the NBA draft. If you were, if you somehow became the commissioner of the NBA, you keep it or you get, get rid of it in the name of freedom? Right. So here I am ranting and raving about freedom, and I would be very uneasy about getting rid of the draft. Yeah. And the more we talk about it, I'm not an easy win. Okay, with you, good for you. Because for you. you have the salary cap in that, place. Good point. That's right. So what, you really don't need you it. You don't have to have it. Yeah. So do right. teams just want to stock up on young guys? Um, you know, the, the Warriors aren't going to be able to sign anyone good. They're not going to right. get anyone good with the 30th pick in the draft. And, and here's the other thing. Every team in the NBA, the NFL, and Major League Baseball is making money hand over fist. Yeah. They could all spend more money on payroll than they do. Sure. Which is just to say that in response to the argument that, well, some teams are going to dominate the player market, the right. reality is that that's just another set of excuses. I'm not saying that there's no difference between the New York Yankees and the Tampa Bay Rays. Right. Of course there is. Right. right? Well, there's no salary cap in baseball. There's a salary cap yeah. like. Yeah. Well, with, the, the Yankees, with, with the among tax. other teams, are now acting as if there is. Right, right. Um, well, the luxury tax is painful. Right. I mean, the Dodgers are the only team, it seems like, who don't care about don't the care, uh, right. at all. But, um, but my point is just that every team has money to spare. Yeah. If they were forced yeah. to be in a labor market where they had to you know, compete for talent in a way that they don't right Yeah. Now. Can we geek out and talk about how awesome my, yes, my Warriors ab- are? absolutely. So the Warriors just about a week ago ended their series with the Houston Rockets. Uh, Kevin Durant was hurt. I was pretty convinced the Warriors were going to lose the, the series after that. No way they're going to win game six in Houston. Right. I, I'm just hoping for a, you a, know, a, 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 game a, seven, a gutty performance at home game seven. Steph Curry scores zero points well, uh, in the first half against the Rockets. And let me just say, especially yeah. after last year, right? Houston yeah. had a 3-2 lead. Right, and then Chris Paul, and hurt Chris Paul got hurt. So it sure looked like they were no worse than even with Golden State. Oh, absolutely. They at were full strength. Yeah, they were pushing them. It, right. No, it was, it was 2-2 at that point. Somehow the Warriors managed to win game five. They had played the fourth quarter without, without KD. And then Steph Curry reminded us in the second half how unbelievably brilliant he is. 33 points, bomb after bomb. You called him an assassin earlier, dagger after dagger. I I have never seen a player who needs less room to get a shot off. This is the part about his game that I just don't understand. I mean, guys are in his face. He's barely even squaring up to the basket. You lose him for a microsecond. It he's, is, he's it is amazing. Yeah. Um, but so, uh, yeah. as you know, I'm I, not a lot of love for the Houston Rockets, particularly Chris Paul, who was annoying me more and more that series. And I do now have how to pronounce this word, schadenfreude. I had it with regards to Chris Paul when that series was, was over. That, as a Warriors fan, that was maybe the most satisfying win of this, of uh, this recent era. I, were I a Golden State fan, I would undoubtedly feel exactly the same way. By the way, a, a pathetic tweet from the Houston Rockets general manager, Daryl Morey, who, you know, he's an analytics guy. I really like him. I think he's interesting. But he just tweeted out this thing the other day that over the last two seasons, the Rockets are 5-8 and eight 
against Golden State in the playoffs. And the rest of the NBA is 5-34. and 34. And he obviously meant that to say, look how close we were. And I thought, that is so pathetic. We're 5-8. and eight. <laughs> Yeah. I Hooray mean, for second. Congra- congratulations. Well, it's better than you him saying he's... You lose less badly. Yeah. <laughs> I think, well, that's where we are with the Warriors. Yeah, that I is guess. where we are. Although I thought you were going to talk about his, his, his statement that they have compiled data that the referees are not treating them them fairly. Totally objective data that they have compiled themselves about how they are being treated unfairly. Now, the really interesting thing about the Warriors right now is so they're still playing without Kevin Durant, who I don't know. Arguably... The best player in this. Well, I was going to say, right? I, I think he is now, right? Don't probably. He, he's been the NBA Finals MVP the last two years. He's certainly the most sought after free agent LeBron this year. Maybe beginning to break down. Yeah, I, I, I think maybe it's fair to say that he's the best player in the NBA. At, at worst, he's number two. You can certainly make an argument. And the Warriors are playing gangbusters without him. Right. And I realize teams always pick up the slack when a star goes down. But, for some period of time. But now they've done it for four and a half games, and that seems interesting. Um, Against this level of competition. Right. right. They As, beat the Rockets. They're, they're, they're crushing the Blazers. Right. This right, is in right mid-January. Now. We're now in, we're deep into the NBA playoffs against the best teams in the NBA. They're destroying teams, particularly on the road. Yes. They're destroying teams. They take great pleasure in, in shutting the other team's fans up. People have been, I don't think people really mean it when they say this, or maybe some people do. They say the Warriors are better without Kevin Durant. Right. What's your reaction to that? Right. So my reaction is, I think that's utterly crazy. That's my initial reaction. And they do seem to be better without Kevin Durant. I'm a let's look at the evidence kind of yeah. guy. I'm yeah. a, I'm yeah. a you know, evolution, not creationism kind of guy. And the evidence suggests that they're better, that Steph gets more shots, and those shots are killers for the other team. And as you and I both know, I mean, who, who's the best player on the Warriors right now? We're, we're talking about Steph, but... Draymond Green. Draymond is playing out of Dray- his mind. Uh, Draymond in the final game. We're recording this on a Monday. Game three was on Saturday yeah, night. Yeah, so game four is tonight. And game four is tonight. Draymond Green, Saturday night, he had his hair on fire. First of all, he's the most interesting player in the NBA, right? He's six foot seven. He's basically a point center. We've yeah. never had a player like this so. in the NBA before. Yeah. So he's blocking shots near the basket on the defensive end and then starting fast breaks, driving to the basket, making crazy Magic Johnson-like passes to open teammates. Right. I, I really have never seen a player with his skill set, and when he's playing at his best... He is so. I'm not a Warriors fan, right? No, I he know. He is so fun to watch. Yeah, well, and you, look, you you got to say, in many ways, it is because of Steph and the fact that Steph gets uh, double teamed for sure, and so Draymond sure. gets the ball, and now it's um, four on three, right? You know, and but right. but Draymond does the right, and he's doing all this, and he can't shoot. He can't shoot to to, right. to save his life, right. and he's just destroying teams. Now here's the here's the other. So and of course, Clay Thompson is. You know, when he's this really nice bonus that he can have these games where he goes crazy. Oh, and he's a lockdown defender. And and he's a very good defender. The other, to me, the other secret weapon of this now entire five-year run is Andre Iguodala. Oh, absolutely. Who would be a star player on most NBA teams and is this luxury off the bench who himself is a Swiss Army knife, great defensive player, uh, shooter, you know, can really do it all. And he's like their fourth or fifth guy. 
Yeah. Um, well, he normally doesn't even start. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Warriors are good. This just Warriors in. are good. Yeah. Um, I do think an NBA final pitting Golden State against Milwaukee will be a great series. Yeah. And, I, and I, you know, I, I, I've been saying they need KD to win that, but I... I may, well, maybe not. I'm not sure they do, especially maybe after not. watching Bucks in Toronto last night. They neither team impressed me that much. Yeah, Milwaukee's really good. Though. Yeah, they got they got players. They yeah. got players. That's that's yeah. the finals we yeah. all want to see. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, we did want to spend a couple of minutes talking about White House visits. Not uh, ours. Not ours. We haven't been in, invited. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Uh, any day now. Yeah. Um, motivated. Uh, uh, particularly by the recent visit, I think it was a couple of weeks ago now, of the Boston Red Sox to the White House. They, they won the World Series, of course, in 2018, and they were invited by President Trump to the White House. We've seen this visit, this event has become politicized to a much more significant degree since Trump became president. Yeah, it was barely politicized during Obama. I can well, read. an individual player. I remember Tim Thomas of the Boston Bruins. Right, yeah. but but it, but it wasn't whole teams. This really started actually with Golden State. Yeah, or it really starts because of Kaepernick and Trump's treatment. Well, that's true. But right, right, but in terms of White House, right, it was the spring yes. of 2017. Golden State had won the NBA title. The president invited them to the White House and they basically responded by mocking the invitation. Right. They said, we're not coming. We were not coming. And then he, because he's a five-year-old, the president, I mean, withdrew the invitation. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not inviting yeah, you. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so that began a process whereby we've seen more frequently that teams have to kind of make a decision. UNC actually won the championship in 2017 in men's basketball and didn't end up going. They said for scheduling reasons. Right. But Coach Roy Williams has been an outspoken critic of Trump, and it probably was not just scheduling that prompted them. Can't and then I think Trump withdrew their invitation as well. I think so. Come on, if Obama was still in the White House, they... It's not even a question. They would have gone. Not yeah. even a question. Yeah. So so anyway, so the Red Sox did go. Right. Some of them. Some of them. Yeah. Um, but what's particularly interesting about the Red Sox visit is that essentially all of the players of color elected not to go. That's right. And every white player, plus J.D. Martinez, who's of Cuban descent, right. did go. Yeah. And I think we were both really struck by that. I mean, uh, let me just say quickly, sure. I mean, the, the, the person who got the most attention in this visit was Alex Cora. The manager. The manager of the Red Sox, who's from Puerto Rico, and made very clear, I am not going to the White House because of how the White House has dealt with the aftermath of the devastating hurricane, Hurricane Maria. Or not dealt with it. Or and, not dealt and, with and, it. And lied about it, frankly. And, and yeah. lied about I it. I really appreciated that about Cora. It wasn't just, I don't like this guy. Is I have a very particular critique about yes. what's going on here. I cannot possibly be in the same room yes. as that guy who's spinning those lies. And another Puerto Red Rico. Sox player, Hector, Hector Velasquez, is from Mexico, Mexico said, well, he said a whole bunch of stuff about Mexico, so I'm not going. He actually said, "I don't. I feel like I can't go. Like if I go, how can I go home? People will be so disappointed in me." Yeah. The, so the the photograph of the Red Sox, it's like those photographs we saw recently of the White House interns during the the Trump administration, compared to the White House interns in the previous administration. Right. You know, the previous administration, people of all different genders and and, and skin colors. Yeah. And the current administration, all white, all white, every single one of them. And seeing a professional sports team, that's not a hockey team, go to the White House that's all white, well, it, it begs the 
I think some of the Red Sox players of color, like David Price, I think they're they're angry with their their white teammates. Yeah, and right, and it raises an interesting question. Does it? Do you not have any compunction about? So let, let, let. Uh, to be fair, should they have any compunction? I mean, you know, I don't know. I'm just going to play devil's advocate yeah, here. Yeah, you get invited yeah. to the White House. Okay, your your teammate doesn't like the guy, but should you, that have, should that you get this opportunity? Your... Yeah, I mean, I, I think it 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 raises that this is an issue going forward for managers and general managers. They're going to have to think about this. Well, and and right, what it'll do to the clubhouse. Yeah. Right? Now it, look, they're 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 professionals, and they will. You know, I don't think it's going to affect anybody's play on the field. That's what you get paid for. That's right? what you get paid for. Yeah. Having said that, I mean, don't we talk all the time about team chemistry and yeah. stuff like that? And, you know, uh, just as a reminder to folks, the American League MVP last year, their superstar player, Mookie Betts, is African-American. Right. So it's not we're also not talking about marginal players on the team. Right. Right. We're talking about stars of the team. Mookie Betts, the pitcher, David Price the manager, who are saying we're not going to go. And so I do think it does, at a minimum, rate... Well, I'm, I'm biased. Sure. Yeah. Right? And so... But, but But I think what I'm saying is, beyond my ideological bias against Trump, is I do wonder whether the players even think about whether they should be supporting their teammates. Right, uh, who do, I think, you might not agree with them, but they have articulated the reasons why they're not comfortable going. Right. Do you disagree? Are you unmoved by those? Do you feel a sense of duty to go regardless? People say they go to war with their teammates. Well, this is not exactly backing your teammates up. In a, in a, right. Well, who's not backing who up, though? I mean, again, just to play you know, devil's advocate again, was it the... The, the white athletes who, this is the way I see it. I see that it was the white athletes who weren't backing up the teammates of color. But I'm sure people on the other side of the political spectrum are saying it's the teammates of color who aren't right. backing up their The president their of the United teammates. States invites you to the White House, you go. You go, yeah. Um, I think this is an issue that is going to, uh, well, look, it's not a surprise that a baseball team went. Baseball, more and more, is well, it's not a black sport anymore. No. I mean, no. the, the number of African American players in Major League Baseball is at I don't want to say an all time low because we used to have something called a color line, but since the 1950s, it's more or less at an all time yes. low. Um, an NBA team, the Warriors won it last year. Do they have any white players on their team? Well, they have a white player this year, Jerebko. Uh, you know, he's not going to be the only guy. They didn't have who, any European big man on their team. I last can't year. remember. Bogut wasn't on the team, and none standing Zaza out. He wasn't on the team. Last can't remember. Year. All okay. the, all these okay. all these trophies are running together in my mind right now. <laughs> and it's hard for me to keep them straight. But it's not going to happen in the NBA. I suppose it's really it, in hockey. The the rosters are pretty much yeah. all white, so hockey teams seem to be going. This is an issue for baseball teams and football teams. But and, and I would say. Leaving aside who should and shouldn't go, the color line here is so stark. It's dramatic. It's yeah. kind of amazing, actually. Yeah. Right? The white players are going. The non-white players are not going. The Red Sox were the White Sox that day at the White House. Right. Yeah, right. I think that's right. right. Okay. Um, Matt, that was fun? It was fun. Um, wasn't I, it as transcendent as the last I, one, but it was well, pretty damn close. It might have been the second or third best podcast <laughs> yeah. of all time. So um, if you like Agony of Defeat, we encourage you to spread the word. 
uh, by liking it uh, where it's available, including SoundCloud. And where else is it available? iTunes. And iTunes. Um, and sharing and commenting, but only if you have a positive comment to leave. Um, and we are hoping to do another episode again soon. Yeah, we want to talk about O.J. Simpson. There's, a, the, the, there's an O.J. anniversary coming up that we thought we would talk about. I think we also need to thank, because I don't know if this is going to be his last podcast with us, but Keaton Eberly, who's been our producer uh, the last couple of years, um, he turns the machine on, which is something that we don't know how to do, and he keeps us more or less on point and uh, lets us know what's going on. And he's been just a, uh, a tremendous help and a wealth of information as yes. we talk about what we want to talk about. We are podcast. incredibly grateful to Keaton, and we're also proud of Keaton because Keaton is moving on to the next phase of his life as an assistant. Associate producer. Associate producer for a television station in High Point, North Carolina. That's right, yeah. So that's awesome, Keaton, and congratulations. He was and drafted by the High Point, by, by, <laughs> by the local High Point the media conglomerate. I was very highly sought after. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's the Zion Williamson of his era. Well, that, that, yeah. that's for sure. Um, okay, so until next time.